Hello, welcome. 2017, the Super Bailey Bros are back. Happy New Year, listeners. Hope you had a nice holiday break. Hope you didn't miss us too much last week. Yes, and hasn't it been a nice little break, Laurie? I've had a really nice break. I saw a little bit of you over the break. Yes, you did a little bit. Thankfully, only a little bit. (laughs) Can can you imagine? We see each other every week. And now we got... Yeah, it was quite nice having a little bit of a gap. Do you think our family enjoyed hearing all about the podcast? Uh, Yes. Do you get nervous that it's all you can t- talk about? Uh, when you're around, I do seem to talk about it a lot, which is a bit... Mm. It's a shame, isn't it? Yeah. But then that makes sense because we're always talking about the podcast when I see you. So there mm-hmm. you go. But Laurie, also, I, I hope you notice there's a there's a gift in front of you. Oh, you know what, listeners? Yeah, Phil pushed this into my hands uh, just before we're about to do the podcast and said, Laurie, you've you got to have this before the show. So what does he want me to do, Phil? It's, it's a present. It's sort of... Um, what is it in the shape of? Maybe a tiny box of chocolates. It's got deer on the wrapping paper. Lovely, Phil. Yeah, Can you hear just, that wrapping around? What is that? Am I allowed to do this? Just Phil? open it, Laurie. It's right, a very special go. day. So this is real, listeners. This, this week was, thing. in fact, a very special week for us, Laurie. Was it? Hold on. Have you not got me anything? No, why Why would I get you something? What's because, the, what week is this? Because it's our... <laughs> I, I can't believe you forgot, Laurie. It was our 10-year anniversary on Facebook. Didn't you get the little notification? Oh, I did actually see <laughs> Where's that, my Phil? special gift? Just so you know, listen, Phil has got me a box of Maltesers, which I'll gladly have and not share. Thank you very much, Phil. <laughs> Where's my gift? I, well, look, I don't go by Facebook, Phil. Facebook doesn't rule my life in the way that it rules Ten years, yours. Laurie. Ten years since we've been friends. Before that, we weren't friends, and now we are. I think it's But creepy. maybe not anymore. Doesn't it also select photos <laughs> of you to say, this is, you know, we've highlighted your friendship? I don't think we have any photos of us together, so... Don't we do? Those ones in Spain where you're like 15 or something. And, and you've got, got really long, long hair. hair. Mm. So have you. <laughs> <laughs> hey, this is fun for everyone, isn't it? Listeners, don't worry. We are back with a bang. It's not suddenly become a Ramble-a-thon podcast. Thank you so much for listening over the Christmas holiday. Thank you so much for listening to those Rogue One podcasts. I feel a bit like <laughs> that was maybe a mistake to release three podcasts on Rogue One. There was... Well, I mean, it covered up the gap, didn't it, basically? That was mm. what it was. It was filling up your quota of Super Baby Bros but without us actually having to be there doing it. That's a positive spin on it for sure and we won't say what's in those podcasts just in case you still haven't seen Star Wars Rogue One after you've watched it obviously go back and download but what are we doing this week Phil? This week we've got an absolute bonanza of It better be because it's the first one of the new year. Exactly yeah so we've gone to we've used the time away to go see more movies basically. It's true. I've gone to see Collateral Beauty that's Will Smith's new sort of emotional film and also I've seen Assassin's Creed, which I think you've seen as well. Yes, I you? saw Assassin's Creed yesterday. Yep. And then I've also seen Martin Scorsese's epic sort of Japanese religious film, Silence. I know. I, oh, I'm i so annoyed. I so desperately wanted to see that before we did the podcast. Now I'm going to have to hear your stupid thoughts on it <laughs> before <laughs> Thanks, I get to go and watch Cheers. it. Cheers. Well, there we go. Because, uh, hey, guess what I saw instead? What did you see? I saw Why Him? Question mark, starring James Franco and Brian Cranston. It's a sort of meet the parents reversed for the millennial generation. It's kind of like, look who's coming to dinner, but parents are coming to dinner. Yeah, or you could say what I just said. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm warming up, man. It's We're the already bra- at each other's throats. I know. I thought I'm I'm rusty as well. I can't I'm not ready for these. No, you're bars. doing well, you're doing well. And we'll also try and fit in listeners. We'll squeeze it in. Don't worry, it's not gonna be a super long show. A mini segment on watching films in two parts. And 
I was inspired to do this because I saw The Nice Guys again, got that for on DVD for Christmas, and June and I watched it together in two nights. We had to split it in half because she was falling asleep, you know, with work the next day, that kind of thing. And so I just, you know, I wanted to chat to Phil about whether he's ever done that and what the pros and cons are, whether it should be avoided at all costs, all that kind of jazz. And we're doing emails as well, but emails won't come right at the end as usual. They'll probably come between two reviews. So we've tried to spread things out a bit, keep the tone light, keep the energy pumping, Phil. But yeah. Oh, any last words before we get going, Phil? Let's just crack on. I think we'll... Well, can I say thank you again to our Patreon... I was asking you. I've got some final notes. (laughs) Right, okay. Our Patreon supporters, thank you so much for supporting us on Patreon. And listeners, remember, head to patreon.com forward slash superbaileybros to find out how you can support this podcast. Yes, very much thank you to all those who've already done supporting. Yes, there are some more listener-sponsored jingles coming up. (laughs) Oh, exciting, exciting. All right, now I am done. Ready to go? Yes, I am ready. Cracking. Okay, Phil, can I throw one of our New Year's resolutions right at you? I'm saying R because I'm making it our New Year's resolution. Right, okay, what's the resolution? I think even if we don't like a film, we should aim to be as positive as we can about it and upbeat in our delivery about it. What do you say to that? Let's do it. Let's do it. You know, unrelated, of course. We went to see Assassin's Creed, didn't we, Phil? We did go see Assassin's Creed separately, might I add, but we did both see it. Yes, that's right. And have you played the game, Phil? I have played this game, yeah. I played a couple of them. I'm not a super fan of the franchise, but I have played them. I have heard from a lot of people I've never played them. I've, I've seen them being played uh, in HMV and things like that. And those are kids getting really into it, like mashing the buttons and doing flips and stuff. <laughs> and what the weird thing about it is that people who played the game go on and on at me about how great and deep the story is and how involving it is and how interesting it is. And that was kind of what I was expecting. I thought it just looked like an excuse to do flips and stab people with a hood on. That looks about right to me. But people were insistent there was more to it than that. I think definitely the games try and put in some deeper layers and uh, there's kind of this uh, mythology that they're trying to create with the games. Mm. But I think you're probably right. I think the main draw for the for the people who are fans of the game is just running around like Italy with a hood on and running at walls. I think it's and Spain, isn't it? It's all sorts of different games. Okay, uh, places. Places in the games, yeah. Okay, yeah. And now I just want to throw in as well, we are probably going to talk a little bit about video games as movies because we've discussed this before, haven't we? Yeah, I made the prediction that eventually they're going to become the big big provider of franchises. The I new think. comic book, basically. Potentially, yeah. And we've seen, and already this year, we've seen lots of kind of, lots of films which are sort of heading in that direction with Angry Birds being yeah, a Angry big Birds, one. Yeah, Angry Birds, Ratchet and Clank, which we didn't see. No, that one unfortunately bombed. There's been Prince of Persia in the past. There was Tomb Raider. It seems to be that Hollywood keeps on going back to this this area. They're determined to make it work. For material. Warcraft, of it, course. Of course. We didn't, and we, I completely blanked that as a, as a video game. <laughs> You've just forgotten it, wiped it from your memory. <laughs> yeah. Okay, right. Well, listeners, we'll give you a quick rundown of the film, play a clip, and then launch into the review. This is directed by Justin Kurzel. It stars Michael Fassbender, and he is playing Cal Lynch. And we sort of meet him when he's in the chair, receiving a lethal injection for murder. And he looks, you know, a bit troubled about this, but at the same time, he still sticks two fingers up to the authority figures, even the priest who comes in and tries to read him his last rites, and uh, away he goes. But, mysteriously... He doesn't die. He wakes up in this kind of Hunger Games, Maze Runner, Divergent sort of citadel thing, where there's loads of people wearing grey cloaks. And Marion Cotillard, of all people, wakes him up and says, look, you're as good as dead, but I've brought you here so that we can all improve the human race and transform things. Is that about right, Phil? Yeah, how are they going to do that, though, Laurie? Well, they're going to... 
Why are Michael Fassbender up to the Animus? Because there's something special about him that he's not aware of. And the Animus is this big Matrix-looking virtual reality device uh, that sticks into your brain and somehow enables you to visualise moments and situations from your past so you can kind of live them out and do cool flips and things. Is that about right, Phil? Yeah, do we have a clip? (laughs) Yes, we do. Let's do it. What is this? I'm sorry, Carl. This is not the way I like to do things. And don't do it. What do you want from me? Your past. Listen to me carefully, Carl. You're about to enter the Animus. What you're about to see, hear, and feel are the memories of someone who's been dead for 500 years. Wait a minute. Synchronization achieved. Commence regression. How do they keep a straight face <laughs> delivering that dialogue? I have to say, I mean, I'm not looking at the actual video that goes along with that. I'm just hearing the audio and it's cracking me up hearing him <laughs> yell. It just it just sounds so unreal what he's screaming about. And listen, for those of you who haven't seen the video, this animus thing is like a big mechanical arm that lifts up Michael Fassbender so he can move around in this sort of Coliseum-like space. Mm. And uh, it's an important detail, which I think you did miss out in the intro, Laurie, oh, no. is that it's not that he's going into his past he's in fact going into his ancestors well I didn't want to give that away Phil because that's not entirely clear even until later in the film he's got some link with someone in the past and they don't even use the word ancestor this is actually a point I wrote down in bad script writing sorry am I moving too fast no 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 I mean it's a valid point I mean, remember, Laurie, we're trying to be positive. Positive. <laughs> I know, yeah. Uh, well, listeners, look, I think you've got to upfront say that Michael Fassbender and Marion Cotillard, even though it makes no sense that they're in this movie, really go for it. They are totally committed to the role. The film is incredibly boring, but they don't look bored. Somehow, they commit 100% to this thing. So all credit to them. I think they'll walk away happily. Guess who else is in this film, Phil? Well, I've seen it. Jeremy Irons. Jeremy Irons. And what's your favourite line about him? <laughs> Uh, favourite line oh you mean what I've said before yeah I've said it on the podcast I think he loves a turkey if you're watching a sort of really low low wattage quite averagely made sci-fi fantasy flick it's almost a guarantee he'll turn up he was in Aragon he was in this really weird anyway let's not do this something else worth saying is that Michael Fassbender is a producer on this movie isn't he yes he is and there's loads of people who seem to be behind the scenes and lots of kind of Hollywood connections that are linked to other films that I've seen as well. Yeah, well, there's a. it's particularly linked to The Babadook. Did you notice this? So this guy, Justin Kurzel, is, I believe, married to S.E. Davis, who plays the woman in The Babadook. And his brother, Jed Kurzel, did the music, and he's also doing the music for the upcoming Alien Covenant. And they all worked together on something called The Snowtown Murders, and a few of them worked together in Macbeth. Do you remember seeing Michael Fassbender starring in Macbeth? I didn't manage to see that one, but I did notice that that seems to be the link. And not just on that side, but also on the acting side, you've got the fact that Michael Fassbender is uh, co-starring in this film with Brendan Gleeson. Yes. And a film that I saw at a screening called Trespass Against Us. And that's a Lionsgate uh, production, isn't it? I believe so, yeah. And that's that's got both of those guys in the main roles. And so I'm wondering if maybe there's some sort of weird Hollywood-esque deal, you know, a five-picture deal. Michael Fassbender gets to make his little passion project with his with whoever he wants, Assassin's as long Creed. as he does mm. Assassin's Creed. Yeah. Assassin's Creed is the gateway to making these other films because 
clearly the studio thinks this is a franchise worth backing. Well, because Michael Fassbender is in it. So if he's in as a star, he's a pretty big draw, isn't he? Having come hot off the heels of Magneto. Yeah, and also he can't, he's got possibly one of the best acting kind of clout behind him. Famously, Daniel Radcliffe has talked about the Michael Fassbender test. Yeah. When he takes on roles, he says, would Michael Fassbender do it? Okay, I'll do it then. That's his judge of quality is if Michael Fassbender says yes to it. It's kind of a lot of interlocked things. You know, Marion Cotillard was in Macbeth with him as well last year. Well, there you go. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's one, the reason we mention all that, listeners, is that maybe <laughs> that is the reason why Assassin's Creed is such an odd mix of things. It seems to make no sense that these people are in it. And I just can't get away from how dull and boring this film is from start to finish. It is a really bizarre film. And I'm, I'm kind of amazed having played these games, having kind of enjoyed these games. I don't understand how they managed to kind of mistranslate them into this they film. Did? They really did because rather than focusing on the 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 historical aspect of the the idea, the concept, being able to relive uh, an ancestor's life and a particularly interesting one as that, an assassin's life, they seem to constantly be preoccupied with the future, the present, and Michael Fassbender's character, Cal Lynch, and all that sort of world. It, the actually the the whole going back in time is playing a massive backseat to the present day story. And I just don't understand why they do that. No, that what people want to see is them dressed in the old school robes, doing old school things with blades attached to their wrists, right? Well, listeners, I'm sorry. I feel like we're kind of jumping around all over the place here. But uh, well, that's the film, in fact. I actually went in feeling quite happy about it. You'd already told me you didn't think that much of it. I'd already seen some of the reviews for it. So that didn't stop me wanting to go and see it myself because I'm curious about the ways that video game movies are going to go. And actually, I was quite excited. You know, it's a video game film. It's going to be silly. It knows it's silly. The opening sequences feature a kid doing tricks on a BMX. You know, I thought, actually, this is going to be okay. It's going to be undemanding and fun. But the action was quite poor. I thought some of the sort of street chase stuff where they're flipping around was kind of well choreographed, but it really suffered from its unremittingly serious tone. When people are flipping about a city and throwing guards off roofs. Did you think it was interesting the guards are on the roof? What are they doing there? (laughs) Then you kind of want it to be a bit fun. I'm thinking Indiana Jones, right? You know, that kind of chasing would have been quite good fun with at least a little bit of wit, a little bit of humour, something to make you care about these guys. You want a bit of parkour or something like that, something cool. But as it is, they're so serious and so dour. And this whole Assassin's Creed thing, which is that these assassins have a creed because they're locked in a sort of eternal battle between one of their factions and another faction who sort of want to cripple the human race and they're constantly battering it out. That's basically what it is, isn't it? Sort of, yeah, an eternal battle. Exactly, and it, but it, and it's so serious, and the creed is deathly serious, and you've got to give everything for the creed, you sacrifice your life and the lives of others for the creed, blah, blah, blah. It gets really tedious. And do you know the subreddit that the plot really made me think of the most and that tone? What was it? I'm 14 and this is deep. Yeah, I think you're probably right. I mean, the reason why Cal Lynch is going back in time is to find a sort of mysterious relic from the past. Yeah. Well, I don't want to spoil it for listeners. No, 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 of course not. Don't you agree that that was one of the most ridiculous MacGuffins you've ever heard of? Well, you know, if it was a sci-fi film, I'd be okay with it. But it wasn't. (laughs) It was a weird sort of... I didn't even know what kind of film this was, really. It wasn't really fantasy anymore. It's like sci-religious sort of thing. Yeah, exactly. It was really just a bit disappointing. It was very simplistic and uninteresting. And it made absolutely everyone in the film utterly unsympathetic, except for one moment, which had me laughing out loud in the cinema, Phil. 
Is this the one you texted me about? Yes, it was, yeah. Can we repeat it on the podcast? No, we can't. Of course we can't, because it features a rude swear word. I still don't understand how they're getting away with that F word in a 12A. What did you say? They're allowed to use it once? I think you're allowed to use it once. I mean, X-Men had a a, a use of the F word, didn't it? Wolverine used it. Oh, sure, yeah. And I think if it's not directed at somebody, but sort of said as kind of floweriness in their language, it's allowed. What strange rules, because surely just having it the once and having it be such a key part is going to make it stand out more in people's minds, as indeed it did mine. But he's being explained this whole plot about this MacGuffin thing, and he just kind of looks at everyone with these eyes like, yeah, right, mate. And Otto just goes, what the bleep is going on? (laughs) It's a great little line. I like that because that was a little moment where I thought, well, there's a bit of humanity. Let's have some more of that. Uh, I'm kind of running out of things to say. I thought it was really dreary. I could not believe the actors that they managed to draw to the production. The script was very, very bad. The thing which really bothered me, I didn't realise the past was so smoky. Yes, There's just dust mean. everywhere. There's so much dust, even even in the uh, the heights of this kind of uh, the bell towers and things like that. He's leaping off buildings and, and doing all these sort of fancy things. And he's just constantly like falling through these dust clouds. Yeah. And all it seemed to do was mean that the film just looked incredibly murky. Half the time, I didn't really know what was going on. There was no depth of feel because it was just shrouded in this sort of brown mist, which was just really unappealing. It was weird because I think there were elements of the cinematography that were quite good. Some of the landscape shots and the way that the cities were filmed was quite nice. But you're right, it was so murky. It was coated in this sort of dementor mist. Yeah, that was an odd choice. I have to say as well, one thing that oddly I think would have improved it, and this is something I... I I'm trying to figure out in my head, actually, is that the Assassin's Creed games, as far as I know, are 15s. Is that about right? Yeah, that's right. And that that is because the whole game is about violence. It's about taking people out and being assassins. And that's kind of what people are enjoying about it because, well, for whatever reason. So when you see a film of it, you kind of need that to feel real, don't you? Or not real, but that to be the focus of what's going on. To put you in that role. Yeah, but it's a 12A, so they can't really do assassins very well in a 12A film. So it was incredibly bloodless, and it didn't feel threatening or vicious, and I never felt like these assassins were very intimidating. They just looked like emo kids with their hoods up all the time. I think also it's quite telling the fact that the whole film seems to be obsessed with trying to make things cool. Yeah. They're always concerned with cool moments and trying to be really cool all the time. Uh, but ironically, they completely missed the mark. And because what's funny about chasing the cool moment, the thing which people are, oh, that was so cool. The the comparison I was thinking about was, do you know that bit in Lord of the Rings where Legolas slides down on a shield? Oh, yeah. And that's kind of a, that's an attempted that's cool moment. Cool, yeah. But then actually, I think the cooler moment in the Lord of the Rings film, do you know that bit when one of the Urukai throws a knife? Oh, Aragorn, amazing. And, and he dodges into the tree. And oh, no. No, no, he just swipes <laughs> it away and just knocks yeah. out. That's the coolest thing I've ever yeah, seen. Yeah, I'm with you And on often that. the coolest moments are the things which aren't, drawn attention to but you notice you you it just stands out to you this film is constantly saying look at this look how cool it is and whenever you're trying to be cool it always fails that's mm. the one rule from school don't try and be cool don't be trying to be you've cool. got to be effortlessly cool or it doesn't work exactly and this film is so desperate to try and hit that 12 year old boy market it just fails to be cool at all. Really disappointing. You know, and I have to say, the Macbeth starring Michael Fassbender, I tried to watch that. Um, it was so boring. I had to switch it off. Um, I, I, Justin Curzel is not endearing himself to me. Mm, I, well, maybe I won't check that one out then. Sorry to say so. Anyway, yeah, I think we should wrap it up here, Phil. What's your grade? For me, it's... I think it's a C. I really think it's a bland, boring dreary mess yeah and i think it'll disappoint even fans of the games to be honest i'd agree with you although i might give it a c minus i think it's pretty poor okay Phil, i've got my this is my other final thought which is more of a cheerful one just to end (laughs) and did you notice 
this is because we used to play video games when we were younger, right? I still do sometimes, if I can, find the time. But one of the things I remember doing when I was younger was playing games like Assassin's Creed or whatever it is, where you get to be an adventurer or a beat-em-up game. And I, you know, when you play a beat-em-up, you can choose the strong and the slow character who's really tough, right? And they're like a bruiser, but they're slow. And maybe they're dumb as well. And you think, mm, that's not really me, is they it? They could take not, a beating and they can not, give them out, yeah. It's not really me, is it? I know, <laughs> I know I know, who I am in my sort of skinny, nerdy, spotty 16-year-old self. Uh, I'm agile. Gonna, yeah, exactly. <laughs> agile is the word. I'm going to choose like the slender, lithe one. Sure, they've only got a bow. They don't have a sword, but they can move really fast. <laughs> Got around the enemy. They can wear the big guys down. They can jump. They can do flips. And yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this film, this game, everything about it just was screaming that to me. And I, it was quite nice in a way. It's just funny that that kind of thing is being taken as seriously do you as think, this. Do you think Michael Fassbender is the agile type? He looked pretty muscly to me. Are. The assassins are. No, that's on, true. That's on. true. Yeah, he's annoyingly muscled. Now, for how many uh, why jokes do you think we can get in before I review why him? I've already seen loads in other reviews. People are saying, why me? Question mark. As in, why, why is it me who has to watch this? <laughs> or you might be thinking, oh, why am I watching this? Question mark. Have you got any? Why is Brian Cranston in this? That's good. That's a good why joke. I'm thinking, why not? Yeah, question mark. That that goes the other way, doesn't it? That's against the flow, Phil. I don't know whether you knew that about An me. anti-joke. I like to swim against the flow. Yeah, that kind of thing. <laughs> hey, listeners, I saw Why Him? Question <laughs> We're just mark. done with that. Yes, yeah. Starring James Franco <laughs> and Brian Cranston, of all people, uh, in a flip of Meet the Parents. Basically, Brian Cranston's lovely daughter, Stephanie, is in the middle of her course at Stanford. Uh, she's played by Zoe Deutsch, I think. I'm not familiar with Zoe Deutsch, Deutsch. myself. Yep. And they discover, actually by accident, not in a very nice way, that she has a long-term boyfriend that she is seeing while she's out there. They discover this in a Skype call while the family are having a big get-together, loads of colleagues there, all the family together, um, and they, they she Skypes in and says, hey guys, sorry I'm not there with you. And who comes into the room but this random guy who immediately pulls down his trousers uh, with his bum, you know, in everyone's face. Ha ha ha, got it, right? And it was actually quite funny. I, that sounds sarcastic. I'm just trying to be quick about it all. Uh, and so then she says, look, I want you to come and meet this guy. They go out there and they discover that far from the sort of weird sort of slacker dude they're expecting, he's actually some kind of like crazy, wealthy game developer guy who hit big in his youth and now he's got millions and millions of dollars in the bank. A really strange kind of, do people, do his colleagues live with him in his house or not? It's, it's one of these kind of... Got an entourage sort yeah, of thing. Yeah, exactly, but kind of an accidental entourage. And they're constantly, Brian Cranston, Mr. Straight Laced, is there thinking, why, why him? Why has she decided to... This is the guy... That she that she likes, and you know, then they spend Christmas in California in the sunshine. She's begging them to give her boyfriend a chance. Instantly, her boyfriend is this guy, Led Mayhew, played by James Franco, and you know, it's an odd couple pairing. Phil, what do you think will happen? I'm guessing, and I haven't seen this film at all, so here's my prediction for what happens in the plot: they don't get on, then they really don't get on. The girl gets upset, and then they try and get on to try and get the girl happy again. Like he's a mind reader. <laughs> I think everyone knows what to expect from this film. But let me tell you, Phil, that's not necessarily a bad thing, is it? Sure, we went on BBC Radio Oxford and said that's what people love about the James Bond films. Yeah, but I think it depends. I mean, yeah, I I hear what you're saying, particularly with a comedy like this one, which is playing on that kind of standardised format. It all comes down to whether or not it's funny or not. That's what I think. Well, let's find out whether it hits that solitary goal. Here is a clip, and it's from the trailer. I've played, you know, about a minute and a half from the trailer. It has to be that way, listeners, because there's so much swearing on all the clips. I've literally sat through Laurie playing all these clips, and none of them are usable. (laughs) Sorry about that. So here's a clip which kind of summarises what I just said. From the moment she's born, 
A man's daughter is the center of his universe. You give her love. You give her encouragement. You watch her grow into a strong, confident woman. And then one day, you come face to face with the love of her life. The Flemings are in the house! Yes! Oh my God. Well, looks like he works out quite a bit. Steffi, get him up here! Please, please, please. Have a little surprise. Ta-da! Is that our Christmas card? It's all of you! It says happy holidays and everything. It says happy holidays? Yeah. Oh, I gave the guy the Christmas card. I didn't know he put happy holidays on there. I guess that's on me forever now. I can't. Turns out her boyfriend is this internet zillionaire. Laird has literally no filter, but he's a really good guy. Remember that night in the hot tub? Steph opened up like a flower. You should have seen it. I shouldn't have seen it, but now I feel like I have. Mm. Yeah. No father would want their daughter with this guy. My instinct is to hug you right now. Good night. I don't know what his issues are. Oh my, oh my. I feel oh like I'm so normal. I don't like bodyguards around, so I just had Gustav train me. He's as strange as they come. Your reaction time is getting quicker. <laughs> but what happened to the evasive parkour? Yeah, so there you go. You know, I chuckled a little bit again watching the, those clips. I think this film knows exactly what it is. It knows exactly what it's trying to do. An interesting element that you may not have picked up about it, and I, I'm curious about actually, is it's sort of a Christmas film because the whole thing happens around Christmas. And he wants to spend Christmas with their family. And there are a couple of scenes in the snow at different points as well. I wonder whether it was released as a Christmas film in the US, but they just thought that in the UK people can't really <laughs> can't really handle that, which is why it's only fairly recently come out. I think in uh, the US it's more of a thing, isn't it? You don't really know what's going on with your children because sure. it's so much bigger and you're living out of state or whatever. Whereas in the UK it's a lot... I think it's just smaller, isn't it? So Yeah, and you're probably not thinking about that so much over Christmas because semesters and terms end so much earlier. Anyway, look, we're yeah. splitting hairs right now. But uh, that's an interesting element of it. I think it's okay, Phil. I don't think it's dreadful. I think it's okay. You're very similar to Office Christmas Party, if anyone listened to that review <laughs> I did a while ago. Basically, I felt that Office Christmas Party set its stall out to be this transgressive, raucous comedy that pushes the line, a few sort of gross-out jokes. But actually, I found it fairly tame on the whole and a little bit bland. This is basically the same thing. You've got your setup tailor-made for gags. It's uh, written by one of the guys who was involved in writing uh, Meet the Parents, the original and best of this genre. Mm. So I was kind of expecting some laugh-out-loud moments. I got a few chuckle-out-loud moments and a few silent laughs on the inside and a few rolling-my-eyes moments. Did you do the thing where your breath comes out your nose? Yeah, that kind of... <laughs> you mean like that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know how that comes across on the podcast. But it, it certainly is not going to, you know, it's not going to hit that many people's stockings, shall we say. I don't think it's an immediate must-see, must-buy. But what it is is a pretty inoffensive, moderately enjoyable waste of time. If you flicked it on the TV, would you end up watching it? I think you probably would, yeah, because it's because it it's that you format in. you know and everyone loves. People understand the comedic device instantly. Brian Cranston is actually very good. I think he's one of the reasons the film survives at all, because he's a very good performer. Mm. Like, you believe him as this sort of frustrated dad who does love his daughter and want to understand her, but he cannot understand this weird, bro-ish, constantly hugging, constantly swearing you know, proper what the tabloid newspapers would call a millennial, right? Mm. And, he, and and that, so it's actually, it's as much that as it is a father-daughter relationship thing. It's actually to do with, you know, the new age of entrepreneurs. Just not getting the new, the yeah. new cool. And that, that was something that annoyed me about it because there was a slight undercurrent in the film, which was, 
I thought, trying to suggest that this new kind of guy, this new sort of, hey man, what's up? Oh, it's the bleeping family. Welcome here. You know, oh bro, let's give us a hug. I feel like I want to give you a hug. Let me kiss your hand. You know, all that sort of stuff. We're supposed to think this is this is the new age of man. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? This is the new era of humanity. And the old people just need to accept that because that's the cool way to do it. In 50 years, man, all top executives are going to be <laughs> like sitting in their hot tub making business deals, all going like, bro, this and bro, that, you know, smoking something crazy, of course. But Maybe they already are. You never know. I don't think that? you're a high exec, Laurie. Oh, I beg to differ. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's okay. It's all right. I think it's worth special mention. As I've already said, Brian Cranston is great. And it turns out he's got very good comedic timing. I've not seen him do much comedy. What are you talking about? What, Breaking Mal- Bad? Malcolm say? in the Middle. What, is that where he came from? He's the dad in Malcolm in the is Middle. He really? I never really watched Malcolm in the Middle. Isn't that embarrassing? He's like, he was one of the best bits of that show. Is that he, true? He's really? Hal, the dad Hal. How did I miss that? He's well, hilarious. That's... He's, he, that's where he got his chops man comedy egg, chops egg on my face indeed how about that but he's really good in it there's one particular scene where he discovers that this trendy house is a paperless household so he's using the toilet and he discovers it's a paperless <laughs> he's household. gone no exactly and they've installed <laughs> these sort of beta style japanese toilets with a variety of buttons the sprays and things classic scene it's not clever <laughs> it doesn't raise the bar but it is funny. And, and another large part of the reason it works uh, is this guy who I've not come across before, actually, Keegan-Michael Kay. Does he ring a bell to you, Phil? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, uh, he's quite famous. You're really showing your, your dad with the kids. I know. It's uh, Key and Peele. I'm sorry, what? Key and Peele. They're like a famous comedy duo how, in the States. How do you know this, Phil? Because I'm in touch with the street. You know? You're in touch with obscure American comedy duos. He was in uh, the Lego movie, he did a voice there, and he was in Tomorrowland as well. But in this, he plays Gustav, who is Led's kind of life guru. He was Butler. one of these. Uh, yeah, that kind of thing. Like a maitre d', I think, is that the right word for a luxury hotel? And he paid him so much money that he came to stay with him. Don't laugh at me like that, Phil. Why that smirk off your face? Come on, what's wrong with maitre d'? Isn't that a thing? <laughs> I was just thinking of maitre d'. Like <laughs> maitre d'. Oh, that's rude. Don't you go there. Yeah, exactly. Um, and he... He is the one who comes to solve Brian Cranston's toilet problem. He comes in and helps him do it. But it's just some good physical comedy, some nice framing, some nice long pauses. You know, uh, who wouldn't laugh at that? You've got to be a robot if you don't at least titter at it. I, I thought that was pretty good. It sounds like much like what you were saying about Oscar's Christmas Party. Yeah. The, I feel like comedy's been pulled away into this gross-out humour style area. There's a lot and of actually, here. lots of films don't really need to be in that area. And I think people have... Uh, studios seem to be afraid almost to go just straight down the line, meet the parent style, just funny situations. That's a funny situation. No gross out needed. Yeah. The swearing, the the drugs, the that inappropriate sex. That is all in there, though, of course. That, that actually, that doesn't fit this sort of movie, I don't well, think. Well, I'm glad you said that because the thing that really distinguished this film for me uh, above others as well, and actually I think it is creeping into uh, film generally, slightly with Office Christmas Party 2, is that I think it actually has quite a good spirit to it. There's very little sort of postmodern cynicism in this film. It's actually a lot more about accepting people and love. And there's a kind of kindness to the humour. Even the gross out bits are kind of handled quite well. And, you you know, you think about shows like American Dad and Family Guy, right? Two of the classics, even South Park. That's all about deconstructing and being really cynical and suggesting that everything is awful, basically. This film is kind of doing the opposite of that. But I think that's I think that's a negative actually because I think that means that the 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 writers who know kind of classic movies, classic comedies, they're getting pulled away into the sort of gross outside of comedy yeah. rather than gross out comedy kind of going in towards a nicer sort of area. 
And actually, I think those two things should be kept quite separate because mm. you can't have your cake and eat it too. You can't be gross out and really shocking and then still have a heartwarming message at Well, the these films are trying to go down right the middle of that And are line. they working, Laurie? Well, What's your grade? Well, I thought it was okay. I, I, let me give you... I, just to confirm to you that it's definitely a gross out movie in places, you know, there are a few scenes involving a dead moose suspended in urine, so go figure. And they take it further than that as well. And the opening scene is Laird sort of exposing himself on webcam, which they, everyone thought was funny. Mm. So yeah, there you go. You know exactly what to expect, listeners. Mini shout-outs. Also, I'd like to give to Megan Mullally, <laughs> who is... She was in Will and Grace. She was the very high-pitched uh, friend to Grace. Do you remember her? Yes, I do, yeah. She plays Brian Cranston's wife, Barb, uh, and she's quite funny in it. I guess Zoe Deutsch is okay. I think she had a thankless task. She plays the sort of boring character... It's really about the two men. It's about Brian Cranston and it's about James Franco, both fighting over this girl. So it, she kind of has a th- the thankless task of being the rope in tug and wa- tug of war. Yeah. She plays it a bit like a piece of rope. <laughs> to be oh, zing! Just, it's just it's her, not her fault. It's just a boring character. But there you go. Uh, the grade from me is oh, I'll give it a. I, you know what I said to Judith earlier? I give it a B minus. Do you think I should be giving it a, B, a C plus? I think from what you said, it sounds like a C plus. Maybe that's my own prejudice. Well, listeners, make of that what you will. I didn't hate it. It was okay. Uh, just just curious, one final thing. Yeah. Um, how would you compare it to Meet the Parents? Meet the Parents is infinitely superior, yeah. So is it worth <laughs> just go. watching Meet the Parents? Uh, this is different. It, it, it's a different film. It's going to appeal to different sections uh, of society, I think. You know, that all that gross-out stuff you're talking about and the fact that he's a game developer, millionaire, <laughs> isn't that every teenager's dream? Forget college, drop out of it, just go and make an amazing game and somehow become rich. I do remember when I was like, seven drawing things yeah, drawing exactly. levels for so sonic this things. is this is for a new generation really and and it's telling that it's the slightly dorky video game guy who emerges as the good guy even though he's socially unacceptable whereas in ben stiller's case actually he he didn't come out looking like a great guy did he really no he kind of just endures it all which is why i like that film yeah exactly anyway uh yeah that's what i've got to say really i can't think of any bonuses um there was a really there's a scene that made me laugh and i don't know whether i shouldn't laugh at this kind of thing uh, that involves one character throwing a chicken at the other and that character punching it out of midair. <laughs> Should I laugh? You tell me. Anyway, that that's that. Mm. Bill, just a short one we're going to do here. Movies in two parts. Jude and I watched The Nice Guys. And I must say, listeners, I enjoyed it very much again. If you haven't seen that yet, that's Ryan Gosling and Russell Crowe, a sort of inept PI team trying to crack a crime in the 70s. Really, really worth a go, worth your money. I picked it up only for £5, I think, in HMV. Oh, brilliant. But what we ended up doing, because we're both working, and Judith, you know, is pregnant, she gets, <laughs> I'm sure I might be saying this, she gets tired a lot more easily uh, than usual. It was a real struggle to watch the whole film in one go. So we paused it, went to bed, came back the next evening, finished it off. And it is a different experience watching films in two parts. Have you done it? I've, I've done it in a couple of times. Not, I've never really done it in two parts over the course of a night. I've done it sort of, oh, I'll just have a break and I'll do something else for a little bit. That's and then like come an back. intermission. That's cool. That's all right. That's like a theatre style. Well, I, then maybe I'm a bit of a finish it on the day sort of guy. Well, why are you a finish it on the day kind of guy? Because you need momentum and you need to have that sort of, yeah, you need to be kind of in the moment of the film. I think the director's manipulating you to feel certain things. And if you're going off and having a cup of tea and you then having the a dream and or whatever it is and having breakfast in the morning, like there's so much stuff that happens that your, your, your frame of mind is going to be completely different by well, the time you come back. Have at thee, Phil. Allow me to joust <laughs> with another opinion. Here it comes. Chop, 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 chop. Why are you being nice? Just shield up. I don't know. <laughs> it just felt right. Uh, books. You put books down all the time. 
and also TV series. Ah, uh, uh, touche, touche. Come in lots of different parts, and you you don't probably doesn't hesitate to press pause or stop on the TV. But the film is designed to be a one well, one and done. Is it? Do you think it is? Because I don't think TV shows are designed so that you can take breaks. I don't think books are particularly designed that way. Either they do have chapters, I suppose. So do DVDs. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I I see what you're saying. I I think that they're consumable as a one like a one sitting, and so they're made with that intention, aren't they? Well, I do slightly agree with you. I just thought I'd throw questions your <laughs> way because you know watching the nice guys that way, I did feel like I'd slowed off the momentum and the pace, and I'd kind of forgotten some of the things that had gone on before. And I wonder whether you know with a book. Actually, your brain hangs on to the details of lots of different things because it takes its time, doesn't it? A book can afford to be quite slow so that things hang in the back of your memory and then can be picked up later as more stuff is added to the story. Whereas a film, I'm tempted to say, isn't really about that because it's all over and done in two hours. Actually, it's as much about the mood and the atmosphere and the energy of a film that carries you through to the end. And then afterwards, you start picking the pieces back together. Do you know what I mean? And maybe if you rewatch it again, you can notice things building up. It's a lot to do with mood and tension and energy as compared with something like a book and a TV show. What do you think? What's funny is as you've been talking, I've been thinking, actually, no, there are films that I think would work in two parts and things like that. Well, tell me what you think they are. It's a certain sort of type of film, I think. I think you're right. Most films are designed with a very clear drive. They're heading to somewhere. And so if you lose that momentum, you've got to start that engine back up again. I mean, you might not remember the details. Exactly. It's not really designed to be You haven't got that sort of, you have to re-engage the engine. Yeah, sure. But some films, I think by nature, we talk about this lots, uh, I think in the podcast, we talk about films which are almost novelistic in their approach. They feel more like a book. And films like The Curious Case of Benjamin Button, Forrest Gump, <laughs> Lord of the Rings even, I think sure, they okay. feel much more, they're meandering through to their to their destination. It's less about a drive and it's more about a sort of ongoing journey as the character evolves and there's stages to the story. So if it takes place over a long time, over yeah, yeah, years, sure. Different it feels a lot more easy to kind of say, all right, we're going to pause it there and then move on. But interestingly as well, I was also thinking about at school, I used to, we used to have to watch movies in two parts because you wouldn't yeah, finish yeah, it cool. one That's go. Yeah, that's a classic. Yeah. You know, geography lessons, only an hour, you got to... Yeah, but yeah. interestingly, that normally seemed to work quite well because back in the day, kids' films, normally an hour and a half would do you fine um, for a movie. And about at the hour mark, that's when the act two kind of comes to an end. So you can kind of leave it on a cliffhanger and then the final little thrust Polish is ready there because you're, you've got anticipation is built. Well, that's part of the thing with at school. It's such a sort of rare treat to be able to do it that you will be holding on, to, you'll be clinging on to the details, ready to finish it off and super excited. You don't have to do any actual work <laughs> in that lesson when it comes up. But I mean, one of the films I've, I've watched in multiple parts before or several of them is the Star Wars films. And I think the reason that worked for me is that I know them so well already that actually I don't have to worry about picking up the threads again. I can just really enjoy getting back to it. And it made me think whether actually the prime films to do this with are films you've already seen. We've already talked before on the podcast about how re-watching movies is kind of a dying thing. Generally, people don't do it anymore. They'd much rather watch new stuff because there's so much out there. And if you are going to give two and a half hours of your life to something, it might as well be something new, right? Something that maybe could surprise you. Yeah, exactly. So that's why I think this works really well. If you find you've got 20 minutes or half an hour to kill, then why not stick on that film you know you used to love, watch half an hour of it and stop and, and go about your business, come back to it another time. Great way to keep the rewatching going, I think. I just realised as we were talking that the first time I saw Shawshank Redemption was in school and that was in multiple parts. That was in mm. RE lessons for some RE, reason. really? Yeah. Strange. Don't know what's religious about <laughs> Shawshank Redemption. But I remember, and again, that's a, that's a film, that was my first experience of that film and yet it worked 
brilliantly because it is kind of episodic in its storytelling. I suppose so. And, and there's, it, there's a very strong single thread to that, isn't there? So you're not likely to lose the details. It's not complicated plot, is it? Mm. But I mean, it's quite complicated, isn't it? Well, there we go. Listen, that's all I really wanted to do. Throw it out to you. Have you done it? Would you resist it? Would it be anathema? How dare you stop a movie and watch it in two parts? It has it killed a movie? That's what I'm interested in. Yes, has it killed it? Have you stopped it and never gone back to it? That is a disaster. Or have you really loved doing it? Is it something you do frequently? Just let us know your thoughts. Can movies be watched in multiple parts? Thank you for summarising. Yes. Superbellybros at gmail.com at superbellybros on Twitter. Wise, cool, totally not a doofus, because he supports us on Patreon. He's Kufushus. Okay, next up is Silence. I'm not going to do a jokey intro because it's not really the sort of film that fits a jokey intro. No, it looks very serious. And it's it a very... Scorsese. Yeah, it's a very intense sort of film. This is the new one from Article Scorsese. It stars Andrew Garfield of Spider-Man fame, the amazing Spider-Man fame. Correct. Also Adam Driver, a.k.a. Kylo Ren. Patterson as well, don't forget. And Liam Neeson is in there too. This film is about some Jesuit priests from Portugal going over to Japan. Uh, they've found out, Andrew Garfield and uh, Adam Driver have found out that their mentor, Father Ferreira, played by Liam Neeson, has seemingly abandoned the faith in Japan. Upon hearing this report, they say, we must go to Japan. We must go to the Christians in Japan. This is set around the 17th century during this time, Japan is closing its borders. It's not letting people come in. It doesn't like the the European and Western influences that are coming into the country. So they're trying to expel that presence in their in their nation. And one thing in particular that they really wanted to get rid of is the influence of Christianity on the country. And so they're beginning to persecute Christians, actively seeking them out. There's investigators who are, are going village to village to try and rat them out. And so... These two priests, Rodriguez and Galippo, I think it is. I'm not sure. Adam it's Driver. It's spelled G-A-R-R-P-E. So if they're Italian, it's Garpe, like that maybe. Garpe. So these two priests, they're really going into high danger, going into this nation. Here is a, a clip. I'm going to do a bit of setup. There's kind of within the first third of the film. Here they we have Andrew Garfield and Adam Driver. They've met some Japanese Christians it just so happens that their village is being investigated to, to try and rat out the Christians in the, in the community, if there are any. Here we have one of these Japanese Christians who is questioning whether or not it's okay, basically, to seemingly become an apostate to Christianity or prove that they are not Christians. The way that the Japanese do this is they put down a kind of um, iron cast image of Jesus on the floor and then they're asked to step on it as a way to prove that they have no loyalty to Jesus. And so the word that they use here in this clip is trample. Okay, right. But Padre, if we are forced to trample on the Lord, on the for me. You must pray for courage, Mokichi. But if we do not do what they want, there can be danger for everyone in the village. They can be put in prison, taken away forever. What should we do? Trample. Trample. It's all right to trample. What are you saying? You can't. Mokichi? You can't. Now, Phil, I struggle to understand uh, some of that there because the dialogue isn't necessarily clear. He's speaking with quite a thick Japanese accent. 
Yeah, I mean, you kind of warm up to it, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't be put off by that okay. at all. It is sometimes you, you don't necessarily, exa- necessarily exactly understand the words that they're using, but the emotion, the the message, the meaning behind what they're concerned about is very, very clear. And the characters that you really need to understand their dialogue, you are very clear indeed. Okay, and in what listeners won't have seen because they didn't have the clip in front of them is that both Adam Driver and Andrew Garfield have laid aside their robes that you might have seen them in the trailer and they're wearing a sort of, I don't even quite know what to describe them as. Well, they're in hiding, basically, and they're being taken care of by the villagers. Wearing sort of like garments out of, I don't know, plants and materials? What is it? So that is one of the ways in which they're hiding themselves. They go into the fields and they wear reeds on their back so they're less visible in this in this meeting because they're not allowed out during the day. And a lot of the film is the the difficulty, the the excruciating pain, basically, of being priests to these people who don't necessarily understand them that well who don't necessarily have a good grasp of what the faith is that they're trying to support them in Mm. is and at the same time they're living in in secret they're living in a a cabin which uh, they're not allowed to leave during the day it's it is painful watching them try and minister to these people in japan who are just terrified right 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 i hope that gives you enough of a picture of the sort of plot i have to say listeners i think this was an amazingly impactful film it just really struck home in a a really meaningful way. I think for some people, it probably won't have that impact. I think if you're not somebody who has um, any any sort of spirituality in their life or or faith or anything like that in their life, I think maybe it will seem, it will seem perhaps the whole concept of trying to, to minister to people being persecuted seems just ridiculous and almost laughable. But I think for people of faith, this will be, a really challenging film, a really engaging film. And it ties in really nicely, in fact, to the the information I know about Martin Scorsese. He is a, a Catholic and seems to be quite quite concerned with his ca- Catholic faith. And that seems to be a consistent thread to his films, even if it's not the films aren't about Catholicism or anything like that. But he seems definitely interested and invested in this topic. Well, didn't he want to be a priest? Wasn't that on his sort of career list? I'm sure I've heard this. Oh really? I, I, yeah, I didn't I think, know that. I think that was an original plan was to be a priest in the church, but he ended up. <laughs> just, oh well, just settle for a film director then. <laughs> yeah, it's nice to some, isn't it? Larry? Well, exactly. I think this film really deserves a watch. It's a long film. Go in ready to hold your bladder. Well, this is why I couldn't see it. We had to watch Why Him instead because it was nearly three hours. Yeah, it is nearly three hours. Two hours forty minutes, and you do feel that runtime. It's not. It's a bit of a, an, a marathon to get through. But at the same time, I have to give the film credit. I was massively engaged throughout the entirety of the runtime. I thought it was brilliantly uh, putting you into the mindset of these, the, particularly Andrew Garfield's character, Rodriguez, as he struggles just with the, the constant persecution that he is facing and his, and his followers are facing. The people he's ministering to are slowly getting taken away, captured, forced to, to abandon the faith, shamed, and and even executed and you watch him struggle basically with his uh, unquestionable loyalty to his god to his faith and to ministering to these people but constantly seeing just pain around him suffering around him 
And he inevitably, it starts weighing on his mind. He begins to question why he's doing this. Is God really there? Is he really helping? Mm. Is he with him in this? He's praying, but is he praying to silence? Hence well, the title. yes, that's in the trailer, isn't it? And I have to admit, I, I like the trailer very much. I had my doubts about Andrew Garfield just because there's something about him. You know, I suspect this is why he got cast as Peter Parker that looks preternaturally youthful. He doesn't seem like a person with much gravitas. He seems more like the plucky underdog, uh, that that sort of character. Same for Eduardo Saverin in The Social Network, right? Mm. But does does he manage to bring that across? I think he does a good job, but he feels slightly outmatched compared to the other other actors Adam involved. Driver and Liam Neeson, you mean? Adam Driver in particular. I think Adam Driver has a, a relatively smaller role than you'd expect. Right. But he... He pushes through a lot of ideas and communicates a lot of tension and emotion in very short, little brief scenes that's very impressive. I think Andrew Garfield was cast for that reason, to be kind of naive and young, but optimistic. I think that fits his character. He's very optimistic about what he can achieve in Japan. Um, And it's watching his sort of resolve begin to wear down and whether or not he can keep going. He chooses to have a bit of an accent, which... I found a little bit irritating. Do you think that was his choice? I'm sure he was directed to. I mean, he probably was, but he does sort of this Portuguese accent, which I I think is just a bit distracting because it doesn't... Not everyone in the cast is doing that. Liam Neeson certainly isn't. He's is just, he just Liam doing Neeson. his Irish thing? Not Irish, but he's just doing his bog-standard actor voice, okay, if you know okay. what I mean. And uh, Adam Driver too is doing a bit of a sort of twang to his, his normal dialect. And it's a slightly distracting, but I can't fault the performances. It's very engaging, very consistent... There's one actor who is a Japanese actor who plays the investigator. I can't remember exactly what his title is, but he's the guy hired to to rat out these Christians who is brilliant. He has so much charisma and he really gives a good sort of opposing force to the film. You can't remember his name, can you? No, I can't. He just... He We've just... got there's Shinya Tsukamoto as Mokichi, Yoshi Oida as Ichizo, Yosuke Kubozo... Oh, hold on. Kubozuka as Kichijiro. Any of those ring a bell? Kichijiro is a brilliant character, but okay. that is not the one I mean. Well, there we go. And I maybe I should just give credit actually to the entire Japanese cast because <laughs> okay. there's so many Japanese people in a film. And that's it was a brilliantly refreshing feeling watching a, a cast of Japanese actors acting brilliantly with so much emotion, so much passion. Well, you thought it was quite authentic. Well, yeah, because... But then you mean you've got Andrew Garfield, Liam Neeson and Adam Driver playing Jesuit priests, so... But then I guess the where it counts is the fact that you've got a film which is about... It's in Japan. Japan, Fair and enough. it's got Japanese okay. actors in a Western film. I think that's brilliant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. And they're, they're all really well cast. They really deliver on that aspect of the film. It was brilliant seeing the production values, the costumes, the brightness of the, the, the period pieces that they're wearing. It's beautifully shot. Well, that was one of the things that we picked out in the trailer and we were both excited about was how amazing it seemed to be from a landscape point of view. And we already love the countryside of Japan. Does that come across? Does it work? I, Scorsese, I, I don't know that he's necessarily known for that kind of visual style, is he? It's not landscape so much, but what's amazing is you feel like you have a a grasp on this world, even though it's very foreign and alien. And what's even more impressive is the the film story somehow manages to push ahead of these beautiful visuals. There's some really lovely pieces of cinematography, but I was just so engaged in the story and where it was going. I kind of almost forgot about it. And it was only afterwards that I was like, wow, that that looked great. Yeah, it looked really beautiful, but I... I was just occupied with the story, I have to be honest. So the vibe I'm getting is that 
Uh, it's possibly for people who, like Martin Scorsese, have some kind of faith, it's going to be really amazing. For people who aren't perhaps like that, there's still a lot to love and no one should be put off by the three-hour runtime. Is that about right? Yeah, I think it's a very interesting film and what's brilliant about it is I'm sure your own personal beliefs and preferences and everything like that, that will affect how you view this film. It's a very careful film that has surprising moments of down the line, this is what this means. But I think even your, you bring so much to this film, I think, and then you take away what you want to take away. Great. So it, it, there's subtlety and, and nuance to it all, even though Master says he clearly has his own purpose for this film. One thing I will say, which was slightly disappointing about the film, is some of the plot points that are introduced in the first half of the film slightly fall away. Right. And don't necessarily get... Unresolved. Yeah, they, they remain a bit unresolved. But that didn't really bother me, I have to be honest, because... Master Scorsese, you know he's a good director, you know he knows what he's doing, and I wonder whether or not sometimes he, he was choosing not to go back to them so that then you'd, you'd mull them over and you think about what they meant and, okay. and how they play in. You, it, it raises your expectations and then doesn't quite meet them. And my other criticism of the film would be that the, the last little chunk of the film, lots happens, but because of the nature of the story it's slightly more distance and it runs through it a lot quicker than you'd perhaps feel is really realistic of the rest of the film. Right, okay. Well, man, I, I'd like to get your grade and I'd also like to get your thoughts on whether this is Oscar bait. I mean, sorry, that's not a very nice term for it, but people are starting to write little articles saying, oh, look, it could grab some Oscars for Scorsese. Do you think that's true? Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if he, he's going to get nominations. He should get nominations what, for, for this certain. film. Yeah, absolutely, because it's a it's a wonderful piece of filmmaking, I think. It's well-directed, it's well-shot, the script is good, and it digests quite a big idea in quite a subtle way, I think, I personally felt. So why not? Great. Well, we, I guess we don't know what the competition is yet, but that's something to keep an eye on. And what's your grade? The grade for me is an A-. minus. I think there's a couple of things which could maybe be improved. I think Andrew Garfield maybe could have slightly escaped his own celebrity status a bit more but I think he does a really convincing performance just as Andrew Garfield rather than the character but directed beautifully written really well I found it really engaging I've been thinking about it a lot good stuff all right well I you know my opinion is totally unchanged I really desperately want to see it if I can carve out three hours somehow uh, in the week and I will add my thoughts to yours Phil I'd be really interested to hear what other people took away from the film, whether or not they found it boring or, or tedious or if their own personal views sort of affected how they, they engage with the film. I'd be mm. really interested to hear that from listeners. So do email in superbaileybros at gmail.com or you can tweet us at superbaileybros. That's the one. Thanks, Phil. Well, listeners, welcome to Emails and Tweets. Thanks so much for being in touch, even over your wonderful holiday break. How heartwarming it is, Phil, to know that people think about us even in the holiday season. I mean, we did give as many reasons as we could so <laughs> that they would. Very true, very like, true. Check out our Christmas show. Check out our Rogue One Eve. <laughs> it's very true. And listeners, well, we've got an even nicer surprise for, well, for Phil and I anyway. Uh, we had another person sponsor us on Patreon at the jingle level. So here is your bespoke jingle, Angeline Lillers. If I said your name right, I hope I did. <laughs> Angeline, Angeline Lillis, Angeline, Angeline Lillis, Angeline, Angeline Lillis. Thanks for supporting us. Yeah. <laughs> okay, there you go. Thank you, Laurie, for that jingle. I'm, I'm thanking you on behalf of Angeline because I'm sure she appreciated it. I hope so. <laughs> I thought when I put the jingles together last week, you know, you weren't, you didn't hear them. Phil, I didn't hear them, so there's no reaction. Live. Apologies. I did enjoy them. They did make me did chuckle. You, did you enjoy them? Look, Cufisius and Bernard, who are our other jingle sponsors. Thank you very much indeed, and I hope you enjoyed your musical service. Okay, mm. let's get on with some emails. Just FYI, Phil, that was instead of your email song. Are you happy with that? 
You've I been have. looking for a way out for ages. I have been looking at I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm quite thrilled, actually. Okay, all right. But okay. annoyingly, though, I did think I hit on, like, one of my favourite ones, you know, when I just say emails really loud. Yeah, we all loved it. <laughs> <laughs> all right, look. Get on with the emails. Esther then. got in touch on Twitter, at Super Betty Bros. Couple of tweets here. All the voices in the trailer for Logan sounded like Leonard Cohen in his last album. Fab album. That's the Hallelujah chap. Is that just because they all sound like sort of slightly old country singers? Yeah, maybe. I don't know. But that's an interesting kind of angle to take on it. Yeah, trying Logan. to hit that sort of legendary music maker. Yeah, that well, that's why I played her with Johnny Cash. Yeah, indeed, I indeed. I saw a low expectation for that. Okay, and her other one says, "My husband was the organist in his school nativity." Dot dot dot. Remember that character in the Bible story? <laughs> no, not so much. <laughs> no. Well, I, I'm glad I can empathise with your husband there, Esther. Like I said, I was a cameraman in the production of Bugsy Malone or something. I wasn't even allowed on the stage. And I had to make my camera out of a cardboard box. And only as on stage, I realised I made it out of a box that had hay in it. I still don't understand. <laughs> it was such an odd experience. Okay. I remember having beads on my school play. and it, Having what? Beads? Beads. Yeah, I was wearing beads for some reason. Thanks, Mum, for designing a costume. Great costume. Yes. But the bead broke on stage. No. And I just remember, like, panically, panicking, trying to gather them. <laughs> oh, no, really? It was, it was a nightmare. In the performance. And I was getting so, like, emotional. It was Poor awful. Phil, that is anyway. very tough, isn't it? But okay. organ organist at the nativity does that mean he was playing the organ or was it like he was pretending to play the organ look Esther we need more details that's all there is to <laughs> get it get in touch please uh, Stephen got in touch at Super Betty Bros Laurie loving the 8-bit Christmas music my wife let out a very loud grrr at Prisoner of Azkaban though she hates it now that's actually what we've been watching tweet isn't it what's wrong with Prisoner of Azkaban well a couple of things thank you for that I'm glad you enjoyed the Christmas music when I listened back to it I thought I'd left it a bit loud in a mix and it's a bit piercing <laughs> so I'm glad that was cheerful um, yeah Prisoner of Azkaban is by far and away the best what are your problems with it what's the grrr for? I I think your wife will need to get in touch. Yes, she must. I loved it. I enjoyed seeing a little snatch of that over the holidays again. Snatch? Is that a thing? I thought it was. That's what came S- into my head. A snatch of that. A little snippet? Snippet, yeah. Snip. Doesn't matter. Yeah, okay. Another tweet. Uh, Alison actually got in touch twice. At Superbelly Bros. Just watched The Lion King for the first time. What? No way. That's <laughs> crazy. You need to be positive about that because that means our sort of, yeah, you've got to watch this. You've got to watch this. Has achieved its goal. Someone went and saw no, it. No, I'm absolutely thrilled. That's amazing. I'm really pleased that you've got to see it. She what? did like it, right? Well, well, let's find out. She says the reason she it was the first time she'd seen it was because her mother had deemed it not suitable for children. <laughs> okay I think that's fair enough Don't you do? You, did you think it was scary Did you watch it again Over the holidays I did see bits of it uh, I don't I think it's a It's tense isn't it The b- w- wildebeest The wild- wildebeest scene Is what I'm thinking of That is I tense And also leaking. the The fiery hyena bits At the back end of the film Oh actually I'm wrong She doesn't come back To Lion King But I think we can all assume She, she did enjoy it She also watched 75% of Cowboys and Aliens uh, <laughs> On one evening A couple of hours Of my life I won't get back And just stay with me Phil Dot 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 The final quarter of the film Was better But not one to rewatch. What are your I, thoughts I, you I, I've it? never made it All the way through That's one of those Few films which I haven't Managed to get through Because the tone is so weird That is Daniel Craig And Harrison Ford Of all people Literally, it's Cowboys versus Aliens. And, and it sounds like a jokey, silly film. And then it's the most serious thing you've ever was, seen. I agree with you, Alison. Terrible movie. Moving on. Thanks for getting in touch. Oh, no, and I should say, actually, Phil, sorry. I too many things to say. What I've been watching, make sure you keep listening to that, subscribing. Thanks to listeners who have done so and have rated it as well. We're really enjoying doing that. That's just for ordinary films as opposed to blockbuster movies, isn't it, Phil? Yeah, it's just a, a way to hear some movie reviews. Consider a new movie you haven't seen, but back from the, the good old days of cinema. <laughs> I don't yeah. know what I'm saying. Good word, move no, on, no. Laurie. It on, makes sense. On. Okay, Confucius got in touch. Hi, Confucius again. Feel your pain, he says. Dear Super Belly Bros, I feel your pain upon hearing about your loneliness, re-Rogue One, and our opinions on it. 
and then it made him think lonely i am so lonely of akon or even worse the uh, team america version which we won't go into any detail about. Yeah, okay. And if this is going to make you feel a little better, I'm actually on your side. I do agree with most of what you said about Rogue One. Brackets, so plus one to both Laurie and Phil. Does that make me a public enemy as well now? I think, now I have a feeling that Confucius is just being a loyal supporter that he is and is backing us, even though I think, I, did he not say that he quite enjoyed Rogue One? I can't remember, Phil. I think we enjoyed it. It just had problems. Let's not go down, open that can of worms again, down that <laughs> dangerous road, whatever the other phrase was I was using. Uh, listeners, thank you for all your emails. And in case you haven't listened to the Rogue One email episode, we do really encourage you to listen to that as well because we got our listeners to send us their thoughts. Everyone disagrees with us and they did it very well. That was a good episode, I thought. It was really good and it was uh, exactly what we asked for. So that was amazing. And if you are feeling like we just got it completely wrong, Feel feel positive because you are not in the minority. No, no, whatsoever. you're very much the majority. We are <laughs> we are like going extinct. It seems. I know. Yeah, it's, it's extraordinary actually the reaction it's had on on the internet, especially. But anyway, let's not do that. Listen to those Rogue One episodes if you haven't yet. Moving on next week, Grace got in touch at Super Belly Bros, catching up with episodes, and Laurie is capital so right. Moana is far superior to Frozen. Perfect combo of new and classic Disney. Grace, I'm so glad to hear you say that. I've been worried about that. I've said it a few times. I've said it on BBC Radio Oxford twice. I've said it on the podcast a lot. And then Frozen was on over the holidays and I was, you know, had that feeling like, uh uh-oh, is that a stupid opinion? But no, Grace agrees with me. Good. (laughs) I really gutted I haven't seen Moana yet. I was going to go see it and then the pull of uh, the podcast, making sure I saw a new release, made sure that I didn't go see it. I saw Collateral Beauty instead. Well, you missed out. And I'm really, you know, listeners, if you've not seen Moana, it's really good. And Grace is exactly right. It's the sort of mash between what felt like genuine old style Disney villains and characters meets the new sort of version of Disney, which is very sort of right on. I I thought it all worked out really nicely with some cracking music. So worth a watch for sure. Thanks, Grace. And that is actually it, Phil. And that's quite a few plus ones for me, I feel, have been picked up. And I am committed. I'm going to get that counter done. I'm going to re-listen back to all the episodes since season two began. And we didn't seem to say what episode this was, but we're in season two. And I will put a counter up on the website to see who's in the lead. I do think it's likely to be me, Phil. Interesting that now you are in the lead. That's when you're going to finally do the counter. Well, you mm. won last year. Everyone knows this. <laughs> you won a whole year. You know, don't be a sore loser, Phil. Uh, I feel sad, though, because... Don't be a, as- I mean, what I mean is don't be a sore winner. <laughs> Fair enough. I did win. Ah. Correct. Okay, listeners, thank you so much for being in touch. Do send us your thoughts on any of the films we've reviewed or any of the other bits of rubbish that we (laughs) we just chat around. Uh, Superbellybros at gmail.com, at Superbellybros on Twitter. We love hearing from you. Yes, and for those of you who I've explicitly called out this episode, do come back at me. Oh, he's thrown down the gauntlet. Okay, thanks. Okay, here we go. Will Smith's new movie, Collateral Beauty. What does that mean, Phil? I have no idea. <laughs> Let's play a clip. This is Will Smith talking uh, about... Well, this is right from the very beginning of the movie. He plays an advertising uh, CEO or whatever, and here's mm. his little spiel to his company. Let's just play it, Laurie. No need, no explanation needed. Let's oh, just play okay, it. Okay, okay. What is your why? Why did you even get out of the bed this morning? Why did you eat what you ate? Why did you wear what you wore? Why did you come here? We are here to connect. Life is about people. Advertising is about illuminating how our products and services will improve people's lives. Now, how do we do that? Love, 
time, death. Now these three abstractions connect every single human being on earth. Everything that we covet, everything that we fear not having, everything that we ultimately end up buying is because at the end of the day, we long for love, we wish we had more time, and we fear death. Love, time, death. Oh man, I mean, oh, it's like a TED Talk, Phil. It's everything <laughs> bad about TED Talks times 10. Well, did, did you remember what I said to you? Because <laughs> you asked me about this, Phil, because I saw you over the holidays. And you said, well, what would I make of it? And I said... You remember? Yes, what did you say, Phil? I said you think it's the dumbest movie ever. <laughs> the thing is, like, um, maybe it's just I can't help it because, you know, you know, as I'm tired of saying and I'm sure everyone's tired of hearing, I've worked in this field, I've done marketing. Wow. Did, did you hear the music going on to that scene? That's the thing that really kills me. It's like, what is this, some kind of inspirational speech? No, you're telling people how to force products down other people's throats and get them to hand over their money for it. Do you know what, Phil? It's all got to do with time and love and death. Listeners, aren't you glad that Laurie didn't see this film? Because otherwise you'd be <laughs> I'm spending... Glad. Are you kidding? <laughs> you'd be spending the next five or so minutes, probably going to be longer, but the next five or so minutes hearing about how awful this film is from Laurie. Yeah. And uh, I'm not sure if that would have been a cheery experience Poor or not. It would have been quite funny, though. You would have said something cutting and witty I was but, just about to say you can tell me whether this is that I was going to say poor everyone who's in this film that's, mm, what I'm, that's how I'm feeling so this film is about Will Smith he plays this guy this head of this uh, advertising company and from the beginning there you can hear he's a charismatic guy he is the life and soul of everything he touches in his life it seems he's got these three amazing friends Kate Winslet uh, Ed Norton and Michael Penner Pena 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 he was in Ant-Man he was the the kind of he was hilarious friend. In that film. Yeah, yeah, he was good yeah. in that film. Just in case anyone didn't know who that guy was. Yeah. But they're his three colleagues. They work for him. They clearly love him. They clearly think he's the man. And snap cut forward, Will Smith, three years later, is not a happy man. He is really in a bad place. He seems to have gone through something unbelievably traumatic. And suddenly this company is falling apart. They're facing potentially a bank bankruptcy. And maybe, just maybe, they might be able to get a buyout. But... Will Smith has no interest whatsoever. He just doesn't care anymore. He seems to have lost all zeal for his life. Um, and so his colleagues are desperately trying to find a way to, to get out of this situation, to sell the company and maybe keep their jobs. Mm, desperate straits, dire straits, desperate situation. Yes. As they're trying to find a way basically to get him to abort his shares and get rid of them and sell them on. Uh, they discover that he has been writing to these three abstractions <laughs> from the clip. Time, death, and love. He's been Boy, writing. That's, that's so interesting. That's so really, deep, isn't it? That's really deep. He's been writing these these letters to these three different things. These abstractions. They keep on using that word. It makes me cringe. Abstractions. Yeah. And what's annoying is that it's clearly like the, the script writers just come in and had to use that word again and again, so you could kind of stay with the thread because it makes no sense. So he's clearly grieving, and I do you reckon I can say what it's about because it is uh, quite. I, the one thing I do want to say is I think this film is bizarre and weird and. Uh, kind of messy but I think the subject it's trying to tackle is a serious one and you don't, I think don't give any details but tell us what Will Smith goes through yeah he's, he's grieving basically something which is very serious and would no doubt cause a lot of grief and would be very difficult to move okay move through and maybe we should say in all our sort of sarcastic or certainly my sarcastic comments for all I know uh, everything in this film could be based on someone's real experience and those could be you know writing to the abstractions of love death and time 
could be a legitimate sort of thing that happens. I don't know. Who knows? And um, so please don't take it the wrong way. I'm certainly not wanting to uh, be be rude to anyone dealing with grief. But it does seem like a really bad film. I'm going to put it out there. Mm. So anyway, these these colleagues of uh, Will Smith, they they latch onto this idea that maybe they can prove he's not in a right frame of mind by convincing him he's talking to these abstractions, to actually meeting them. And Ed Norton stumbles across Keira Knightley and some other actors played by Helen Mirren and another guy who I don't recognise, so I can't can't say who he was. But they latch onto these three actors. There just happens to be three of them. And they decide that they're going to try and play along with this idea, play along with his sort of weird reality that he's living in and have these actors play these abstractions, play love, play time, play death and have conversations with Will Smith. So he's going to have conversations with the embodiment of these sort of bizarre concepts. Well, it's he's very not much going to realise they're actors somehow. Well, you know, the film goes at length to try and basically convince him that he is actually having these visions, these hallucinations of these these kind of mythical ideas. Which is which? Sorry, Helen Mirren. Who does she play? She plays. Well, who do you think she plays? That be love. Come on, love. Okay, who or does she Knightley play? Does she play death? If she plays death, that's terrible because she's probably the oldest of the three. So Helen Mirren does play death. Oh, is that seriously it? Kira Knightley. She's the closest to death. Kira so let's Knight- get her. Kira Knightley plays love. Not Kira Knightley. Kate Winslet. No, Kira Knightley. Oh, Kira Knightley. Yeah, Kira oh, Knightley's in sorry. the film. <laughs> completely blind. That. I've seen the film. Oh, you no, haven't oh, seen oh, no. it. Okay, and then the third guy that you can't remember plays. Uh, he plays time. time. So he's a young, high-spirited guy. Not who old plays father time. time. Hmm. No, different take on time. Yeah, the last time. person I saw play time was Sasha Baron Cohen in uh, Alice Through the Looking Glass. He played it quite well. Okay, sorry. Completely not. Keep going. <laughs> so you can clearly sort of see there's sort of a... a I, I mean, I feel like I've taken a long time to explain it. Well, it's a complicated, weird... Yeah, it's a very plot, weird yeah. idea for a film. But basically, it's playing on this idea. It's kind of like a modern version of A Christmas Carol or It's a Wonderful Life, sort of playing on those sort of ideas, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, maybe... I mean, I, I've, I've heard, in fact, some people say it obviously wants to be and It's a Wonderful Life for our current, very commercially focused time. Interestingly, this is this is a Christmas movie as well, mm. similar to Why Him, but we got it on Boxing Day, and I don't know whether or not it's been picked up as a Christmas movie, as a film to see at Christmas. It certainly didn't seem to mention that in any of the advertising I saw. I have to say, the concept, as convoluted as it is, I quite like the idea of seeing a kind of It's a Wonderful Life-esque movie. I like the idea of a guy talking to love, death and time. I yeah, like that. What about this framing device about being an ad executive and they pay actors to pretend to be that? Yeah, that exactly. It's completely, it's bananas. B-A-N-A-N-A-S. Like, it's just crazy because it's so unnecessary because actually the idea of it just being a mythical sort of fairy tale fable. Oh, a Christmas Carol. Yeah. It works so much better and it's so much more efficient. It's It takes forever to get the inevitable thing going. But when it does actually get to the point where he is having these conversations, I actually really like the actors doing those conversations with, with this guy. But there's so much just clunkiness. It's so poorly written and it's so uncertain of where it wants to even go to because the twists and turns that it thinks it's being clever in doing are so obvious you see them before before the film even starts talking about them you've seen them coming yeah like before it's even hinted at you've already got to the end point oh, no that's the that's the astounding thing i saw every single little beat of this movie happening before before the movie wanted me to see it in fact a light year before it wanted me to see it did it leave you at least chewing over these issues and thinking about it and feeling better about yourself no it made me chew over how 
it could have been done in a so much better way because I, as I said, I like the idea of the film. I wanted to like this film. I want to like a Will Smith film, but it seems to be Will Smith kind of going down a seven pounds sort of route. Well, how's he doing? Because he's being very choosy about his projects. So it seems anyway. I disagree. And- I think he's really struggling to find something that's going to get him back into the good so? graces of audiences. But I thought, you know, he turned down the lead role in Django Unchained, didn't he? Yeah, because it didn't fit his his persona, not because it's a bad role. Oh, the brand. Yeah, the brand of Will Smith. But the brand of Will Smith is going way down, I think. It's gone down. I can't remember the last time he had a good big hit. Well, there was that one that they were quite keen that it would get nominated for an Oscar and Jada Pinkett Smith was, you know, making a lot of statements about it. Yeah, that was the the concussion film and he uh, he didn't get anything for that. Yeah, there you go. Well, He, he seems to be really struggling to find what it is that was so good about him. And the feeling I got watching this film is I felt like I've seen every single card in his deck I know exactly the sort of moves he's going to pull and how he's going to do them as an actor Yeah, and so he very rarely seems to be able to surprise me anymore as an actor even in Suicide Squad he was very predictable yeah he, he knows he, he's a good actor he knows how to deliver a blockbuster performance and he's a really deserving star but I've seen his repertoire I've seen what he does and and so it feels like he's just sort of playing the things in his in his war chest, you know, using yeah, yeah, moving yeah. that piece there, playing this thing, making his lip tremble a little bit, doing that standard thing yeah, I've yeah, seen yeah. him do a million times before. Pursuit of happiness style. Does do any of these big stars emerge unscathed? I mean, obviously Will Smith hasn't, but Helen Mirren, Kate Winslet, Ed Norton? Keira uh, Knightley, I suppose. Yeah. Keira Knightley, I thought was kind of. I liked her performance. You are was, a fan of Keira. No, no, don't, 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 don't try and make it about that. It's don't, not don't, like don't, that don't, at don't, all. Don't, don't, don't. I thought she was just quite charming, and I thought Helen Mirren was very good as Death, um, and <laughs> played that role well. And interestingly, Ed Norton, I thought, was actually came out relatively unscathed. He's really? got a very straightforward performance to do, but I think he does it well. It's kind of weirdly reminiscent of his Birdman performance which okay. is a different sort of side of Ed Norton I saw this film incidentally with our dad who said oh I've seen this is Ed Norton's bread and butter and it's not at all <laughs> I don't know what he's talking about because Ed Norton's like the really extreme murderer okay. sort of guy well yeah from uh, what was that one where he praised the white supremacist American history yeah, yeah, that's yeah, the yeah, sort yeah. of mo- movie role I think of Ed Norton as and this is completely the other direction from, from that are you warming up to a grade man what are you going to give it just before I do give a grade I, I want to say I haven't even touched on Naomi Harris who's in this film as well oh yeah we're not a fan of hers actually do not like her at all I think she she's... was with Bad Money Penny and not great in Pirates of the Caribbean although slightly better in Pirates of the Caribbean maybe she's kind of unrecognisable in the Pirates of the Caribbean movies because she, she gets to play a sort of crazy sort of circus like role I just don't right. I just never think she's that convincing or that good um, and I don't know why she keeps on getting roles was she in that other one um, the John the Carrier film you saw earlier on this year Our Kind of Traitor she was and that was a terrible film mm. anyway I did kind of enjoy watching this film bizarrely because I like the idea of this sort of film I like this type of film but it's a badly done version and it's clunky and I'm, I'm a bit amazed that this this director David Frankel I think it is I'm amazed he managed to get this cast list together. I don't know what they thought was so amazing about this this concept or this film. It probably is what you were saying. I wonder whether it got billed to them as, oh, it's going to be a, a modern take on its wonderful life. You know, Strange in Fiction did much better than I ever thought it deserved to. It's all the same sort of thing. The modern fable reminds me of business fables, actually. But yeah, carry on. I'm going to give this film a beam... A B. A B. I, Seriously, a B. I, That's a big grade, man. That's more than you gave Rogue One. 
I mean, okay, B minus then. But then uh, it's, it's tricky because it's not a good film, but I enjoyed it. And that's the tension I have. In right. terms of my enjoyment, it was like a B. In terms of the film quality, it's like a C. It's just not a very well-made film. Okay. Um, but I, I feel bad for the actors because I think they gave it their best shot. Good. And I think the actors come out relatively unscathed. Apart so from worth a watch. I'm, I mean, if it's a B, it probably is worth a watch. Go in with, uh, just go in not expecting anything more than a bit of niceness, I think. And a kind of charm. All right. Any bonuses or wrapped up? Uh, bonuses. It was one of the worst. Uh, this is my character's motivation scenes ever because, and I, I don't. It's quite early in the movie, so I don't want to spoil it. But Kate Winslet, they need to convey the fact that she wants to have a child. Um, and so, how do they do that? Mm. At work, literally, they just have a shot of her looking up like I want a baby dot com. <laughs> it's just that, like that is what it is, and it's just who does that at work? Well, she could have just said it straight to the camera, Phil. I mean, they're not giving the filmmakers their credit. Mm, I don't know. It's just. It was just clunky. Oh, how does it feel to be back, Phil? I feel so sluggish. You Do know, you feel a bit ropey? I feel the effects of drinking all that port and having all that turkey and things. I feel very sluggish Do you indeed. know what, Phil? I, know, I, really, I have had, you know, something to drink every day, I think, all holiday. That is not a good habit to get into. It's Christmas, so it's not anymore, though. So exactly, it isn't it anymore. And yesterday, while we were watching the rest of the nice cars, I was like, I think I'm going to have some whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> I just can't say, like, there's some problems, so you know call me out on it blah, blah, blah. anyway listeners hope you had a lovely Christmas break hope you're glad to have us back we're glad to be back and excited for a whole bunch of great movies I don't know that the four we've reviewed this week have necessarily seemed like uh, a promising start to the year but Silence, Silence was good, is good it? and I think it's, it's hitting Oscar season so we're going to be seeing a lot of films I think that are going to be meaningful and deep and interesting hmm what a prediction from Mystic Phil over there very good <laughs> not Mystic just I was remember last yeah, that's what's what going on. Uh, I can't remember what's going to be out next week. Well, La La Land, certainly. So listen out for our thoughts on that next week, uh, amongst a whole bunch of other movies. Check us out on Patreon. As before, keep in touch with emails. Anything else to say, Phil? Uh, check out what we've been watching as well. Oh, yeah, yeah. As we said before, do check it out. You can find us on iTunes. We're not in as many places as the Super Betty Bros show, I don't think. I've only put us on iTunes for the time being. But if you want uh, a couple of movie recommendations, even for the weekend, what we've been watching is out every Friday. Why not subscribe and leave us a review? that'd be brilliant that'd be great and then you can uh, email us in about that as well <laughs> fantastic alright thanks listeners have a great week we'll speak to you again next week give me all the emails <laughs> so does that mean goodbye Phil? yeah <laughs> bye now Phil I don't know whether you picked up on it earlier in the show but I said I don't like to swim with the tide I like to swim against the flow did yeah. You, did you know this about me? You know, I'm not one to go with the trends. If I've any, never, I've never thought that about you. Have you never thought that about no. me? Phil, let me tell you right now. I, I like, I buck the trend. I mean, if I was on one of those robot, you know, moose things, and it was bucking, and it was called trend, I would, you know, go off. In fact, I, if I saw a trend <laughs> You'd coming, fall off really quickly. I don't know. I would say yeah, I would. Yeah. I'm trying to make a sort of metaphor here. In fact, if a trend really came right up to me and said, "Hey, what are you doing?" I'd say, "Buck off." <laughs> That's what I would say. You can't say that. Okay? You can't say I that. I the trend. Okay, what a stupid uh, little series of jokes. My point in making that those terrible jokes is to say, have you made any New Year's resolutions, Phil? Have you gone with the trend and made some? I have. I have, yeah. I'm going to swim more. Are you really? Yeah. Is that an actual one you've come up yeah, with? Yeah. Really? I've done it twice this week. That is, that is impressive. Are what, you actually uh, impressed? I am impressed. Tell me, tell me why. Uh, you know, just get a bit healthier, get that swim board going. The swim board. You're looking for Tom Daly action. Is that what you want? <laughs> no, don't say that. Don't I know, say you that. know what I mean. <laughs>
<laughs> definitely no, don't you say do. that. That's Trust not, me, you know, all not I mean at all is what the actual You're looking one. for the washboard stomach, that kind of thing. That's what you're gunning for. I'm looking for the swimmer's body, which yes. is what I said. Not, not looking the Tom for Dickley a swimmer's body. <laughs> I'm leaving that in. No, don't. Uh, but why did you decide to go swimming other than to get healthy? Just for fun? Why I did like you go it. for a jog? Good fun, why you not know? run, Phil? What's no, I don't like running. Uh, too much, uh, too much... What happens when I'm running? And I know running is like one probably number one New Year's resolution ever. I'm going to run more. I'm going to lose weight, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Running for me is like a nightmare. My brain the whole time is just like, hey, have you thought about stopping? You could stop right now. I know where you're coming from. Why do you stop? I know if where you stop right from. now, it stops hurting. Doesn't like, that happen with you swimming as well? I, I combined with gasping for breath. No, no, no. I think the rhythmic action of having to go... <gasps> I wish you could see what he's doing, listeners. He's you know, the breaststroke thing. I think, and also the fact that you're going to have to do a lap. You know, you're going to have to go one, two. That's true. And you get to see the cool spinning around, kicking off the edge thing. So even when you're tired, there's an incentive to go again. Yeah, exactly. And and also you get to race like older women. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> because That's... suddenly you have to prove you're like metal. Are you a because, fast lane man? Well, I try to be. And then uh, the, <laughs> the time I went first time, it was disaster because... There was one lady who was really slow and I had to swim around her and I was like, oh, I feel, you feel a it bit happens. guilty, don't you? Just don't you? swim like, underneath. People, everyone <laughs> yeah, no, no. that. <laughs> who swims underneath? Well, who are you? Just, <laughs> I'm making a joke. I've never done it. Come on. So I was swimming around her like, and I feel a bit guilty because I feel like I'm like putting her to shame. Like, oh, you're too slow. Bro. And then she eventually got out. So I forced her out. I felt a bit guilty about that. You forced her I'd, out? Well, no, not really. But, but then another lady got in who was not in a, not a nasty way, but she was even older than the, the other lady. And I was just swimming, doing my, my strokes and everything like that. And I I thought I was setting quite a good pace and everything like that. Every single time I got to the end, she was just right behind me, like doing her. You know how people don't want to get their hair wet, so they kind of keep their head above water. Yeah, yeah I do that, Phil. She was on my tail rapidly, like every single time, despite the fact that she looked like she was going about three miles per hour whenever she was swimming. She was just on my tail. I could not escape her. But that's what's in store for you, Phil, if you stick with the resolution, isn't it? Maybe I'll be as quick as that lady. Well, very good, Phil. Do you want to hear mine? Oh, yes. Sorry. Yes. What's your resolutions, Laurie? <laughs> Mine's really short by comparison. Quite boring. Sorry. I decided to go um, internet free on my phone. And this has been a big deal for me. Listeners. I'm curious to know whether anyone else has been captured by this. But I've noticed it's way too easy to like just be checking your emails and like reading up on stories and things on your phone. Checking your fancy football. Yeah, all that kind of stuff. But they're all hours of the day. And, like, and I, I wanted to get rid of that. So I'm here to encourage people that it can be done. What I did is I got Judith to, I, I removed um, my mail app and I got Judith to set a restriction on my phone so that I'm unable to re-download uh, internet apps and that kind of stuff. So now all I can do is listen to music, the podcast, obviously. Uh, but I can't, you know, get distracted. It's working well for me, Phil. Is it working well? Yeah, yeah. Do you I feel do, happier? I do. I, I think it's better. You know, I'm listening to birds, Phil. I can hear, <laughs> I can hear the cheeping in the trees. I thought you said I'm taking the, the colours of the world. I'm painting with all the colours of the wind. Yeah, I think you're marketing here. I don't think this is... Uh... Uh, no, 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 it is true. I, I genuinely have felt better and I recommend it to others. But it's nothing compared to your swimming thing. Do you go to the sauna afterwards? No, no, there's no sauna. Sauna's great, mate. I can't afford a sauna. sauna. Well, no, but sometimes they have them. No, this place does not. It's budget. Well, County Council. (laughs) Uh, Listeners, there are New Year's resolutions. That ended up being really long, didn't it? (laughs) Longer than probably another segment. Look at that. What's in store for the year ahead? (laughs) (laughs) Bye. How heartwarming it is to fill, to fill, to... (laughs) I can't speak. My life went out... My wife let out... 